Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham today. And we began looking at that a couple weeks ago, just, just briefly in Genesis 16, where we looked at the story of Sarai and Hagar. And today we're going to continue that story in Genesis 17. But I, I was so blessed and challenged by our mission partners who were here this last week, and I'm thankful for many of you who had some time to spend with them, whether you're down at the, the uh, day camp or the family camp or whether you were here last Sunday, you, you were able to hear what God is doing in their midst. And that's so helpful for, for me and for us, I think, as a, as a body of Christ followers to know that God is working throughout the world. We, we, we don't always get the chance to go places and to see things, but every time we have the ability to do that or the ability to have someone to come in and say, let me tell you what God is doing over here. Man, what an incredible encouragement that is, at least to me. Uh, one of the things that they said last week is, is was my, my wife and I were talking about this afterwards. They said, you know, when, when they have new missionaries come to the field, they tell them this, pray and observe how the Holy Spirit is moving within the community and join his work there. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, that, that is sometimes not the first thing I go to. Uh, I, I like to have my plan. I like to put a lot of work into making sure that all my I's are dotted and T's are crossed um, to go something. And then sometimes they say, oh, God, by the way, would you bless it? And what they were getting at was it's much more effective to have a growing relationship with God where you see where God is moving and you say, God, here I am. What do you want from me? And really, that's kind of the story of Abraham. Uh, the story of Abraham is a guy... Who, who trusts God. You know, God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, hey, I want you to get up, and I want you to leave. I want you to leave your, your family. I want you to leave your place of origin. I want you to trust me, because I'm going to take you to a place that I'm going to show you. And what's between the lines there is, no, I'm not going to tell you where. No, I'm not going to tell you how. No, I'm not going to tell you when. Just trust me. Abram gets up, and he goes. But, but not too soon after he goes, <laughs> excuse me, not too soon after he goes, does he find himself um, challenged in his trust of God? Uh, you come to the second part of chapter 12, you go into chapter 13, he's faced with various obstacles and opportunities, and the question becomes for Abram, like it is for us, are we going to trust God in this, or are we going to try and make our own path? Are we going to ask God, would you bless what I want to do? Or will we say, God, here I am. Here I am. And we're going to look at the name El Shaddai this morning, and it means God Almighty, okay? El is Hebrew for God. Say El, El, and then Shaddai. Say Shaddai, okay? It, it, it's typically translated Almighty. Um, there's a couple different ways you could translate it. We're going to stick with Almighty for this morning. So here you have up in Hebrew, if you, if you care, you have going from right to left, Ani El Shaddai, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. But what God is teaching Abram in his revealing himself as God Almighty to him 
is that God is mighty, God is powerful, and God is worthy of wholehearted commitment and devotion. That, that God is mighty, God is powerful, and God alone is worthy of wholehearted commitment and devotion. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, you ha- you're in your Bibles already to Genesis chapter 17. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the word? Genesis 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram, he fell down, and God spoke with him. As for me, my covenant is with you, God says. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. And I will make nations and kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you. And your future offspring throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. To be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give you the land where you are residing. All the land of Canaan as an eternal possession. And I will be their God. God also said to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring, after you, after you throughout your generations, are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you, every male among you at eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house and one purchased with money from any foreigner. The one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house as well as the one purchased with money must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, as for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai. For Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and he said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Yitzhak, Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking to him, God withdrew from Abraham. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all the slaves born in his house are purchased with his money, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that same day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. 
and all the men of his household, both slaves born in his house and those purchased with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <coughs> so, Abraham is now in the land. Um, God has promised him some things. He's promised him a land. He's promised him that he would be a blessing and that blessing would come from him. He would bless all nations through him. He's also promised him offspring. Now, the name Abraham is, is a name that's changed. You know, it's changed to Abraham in this, particular, uh, in this particular narrative. The name Abram, though, means exalted father. It means exalted father. So it's a little bit ironic that here we have a 99-year-old gentleman who is called exalted father. Every time you say his name, hey, Abram, hey, Abram, would you come over here? Hey, Abram, would you take a look at? Every time his name is said, it's exalted father, exalted father, exalted father. And he's had this 24-year plus or minus of walk with God and not seeing the promise of God and the timing that Abram probably would have want to see it. But God comes to him and he says, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. And I want you to live in my presence and I want you to be blameless. He says, I will establish my covenant and I will multiply you greatly. So, so what's happening in Genesis 17 is God is making good on his promise 24 years prior that he will have nations come from him. And he goes to give Abram a little bit more details about this. But, but just stop for a minute to think. It's been 13 years since Ishmael was born through Hagar, who was Sarah's slave. Now, now Sarah and Abram, they, they, they tried to get ahead of God. And what resulted in that was a lot of chaos, right? Like you, you go to your servant, you say, hey, why don't you go and have a child with my husband? That doesn't just like go really well. That creates a lot of problems. Both today that would go really poorly and back then it would go really poorly. We followed Hagar's story a couple weeks ago. I won't go through that again. But Hagar comes back at God's command to the tents of Abraham. Abraham names this child um, Ishmael. And he takes responsibility for this kid. And in doing so, the next 13 years of life that we don't really have much information about um, ensue. There's 13 years here where Ishmael is the son of Abram, but he's not the son through Sarah, which is the person through whom the promise was supposed to be. And I love the way that Ray Steadman kind of uh, encapsulates or, or describes this period of time in his life. He says it this way, for Abram, these years, the 13 years here is what he's talking about, were undoubtedly years of misery. The presence of Ishmael and Abram's household produced endless conflict and rebellion. Those 13 years must have been corrosive to Abram's soul. Yet those years were lovingly planned by God to teach Abraham the folly of acting on his own. So, so for 13 years, I would imagine he has some joys. I mean, he's got a son here, but, but it hasn't helped some of the friction between the now two wives. Uh, there's still this butting of heads, of course, that continues. And you actually see that coming up later after Genesis 17, after Isaac is born, and that kind of... Um, friction continues to occur. But I love what he says. Is there, there's this endless conflict. And this is Abram stepping out on his own. But God uses this conflict to teach Abraham, I will be here for you. Trust me. Trust me. 
The struggle was of Abram's own making. And even though he trusted God, there were these parts of his life that were not fully given over to God. They weren't yielded to God's word and God's will and God's sustaining grace. Now, the, the name El Shaddai is a name that occurs 48 times in the Bible. Um, it occurs in Job 31 times, and it occurs in Genesis quite a few times. In fact, it, it's a key name that's used with Abraham, his son Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob. It's used with the patriarchs. We call those people the patriarchs. And typically when it's used in Genesis, it's used to describe how God is going to bring um, the promise of offspring to Abraham and his descendants to fruition. And that's the context we have it here. It's, it's not just, hey, I'm God Almighty. But for Abraham, it, it is, I'm God Almighty, and I can make even a 99-year-old gentleman and a 90-year-old wife of that said gentleman be able to conceive and have a child because my word is trustworthy and sure. But just think about this for, for, for a moment. He's 99, his wife's 90, and, and God's coming and saying, hey, yeah, I, I'm going to establish my covenant. I'm going to keep this covenant. And the amazing thing about this is God has waited so long that there's absolutely no way that God um, could not receive credit for what is about to happen. You know, Abraham couldn't say, hey, we had a baby. It was all on us. Now, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, every child is a gift from God. All right? Every child is a gift from God. The scripture tells us that. But thinking about this, like this is a child that is a gift from God because there's no physical way this can happen. Um, years ago, this is a photo of me and some of my family members, my dad, my sister-in-law, my brother, my wife, and my grandma. Now, my grandma's about 91 years old in this photo. This would be like God coming to my grandma and grandpa. She's 91. We're enjoying late night ice cream, by the way, because why wouldn't you when you're on vacation? Uh, and she was a good sport. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and we're eating <clears throat> gelato um, <laughs> just because we can. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And, and so this would be like God coming to my grandma and my grandpa if he were still alive at this moment saying, hey, by the way, you're about to have a child. And I can't imagine what my grandmother would have said to that if God had said that to her. Um, but, but here God is coming and God is doing this. And God discloses this name to Abraham. And he says, live in my presence and be blameless. And he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Now, <clears throat> some people have taken this phrase to mean that, that Abraham has to be obedient for God to be faithful to his covenant. And th that's not true grammatically, nor is it true in the context of Scripture. God has come to Abraham a couple chapters earlier, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. And the type of covenant that he makes, and there's a couple different kinds of covenants in the ancient Near East, but the type of covenant he makes is one where God alone, as the stronger party in this covenant relationship, will make sure that it happens. It's not going to be because of Abraham's age or Abraham's skill. Now, he has to be a part of it, right? But it's not going to be because of Abraham's power that this covenant is going to happen. It's going to be because God is faithful and God is almighty to establish this covenant. And so I like the way the HCSB, which is what I typically use, says. It says, um, I will establish, or you could translate it, I will maintain my covenant. Some people, you could translate it, I will uphold my covenant. The one that he's already made. He's saying, I'm here, we are about to do this. But in the middle of it, he says, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. 
Now, what does that mean? To, to walk means basically live out your days. All right? It's this Jewish idiom that, that says, hey, if you're going to work tomorrow, if you're going to school tomorrow, I want you to walk before me. If you're going to the beach this afternoon, if you're having lunch with your family, if you're going to a ball game, walk before me. Whatever God has placed in front of you, walk after God. Hear his word. Submit yourself. Yield yourself to his spirit. Allow all of you to be all in in following God. And the word here for um, blameless does not mean perfect. It means whole. All right? it, it comes from a word in Hebrew that, that is also used for a type of offering. And that type of offering is a tamim offering. It, it's an offering that is all in. That no part of that is left out. So when God says, I want you to live in my presence, or I want you to walk before me and be blameless, he's basically saying, I want to be in relationship with you, and I don't want just part of you, I want all of you. All of you. I want your mind. I want your hobbies. I want your work. I want your school. I want your exercise. I, I, I want everything that you do to be all in walking with me. Just stop and think for a minute. Where in your life and in mine are we not all in? We say, God, I'll trust you here, but over here, I think I've got my own plan. Or we say, I really enjoy doing this, so I'll follow God over here because if he calls me into this, that's just pushing it too much. The kind of following God wants from his people is all in. Walk before me, he tells Abraham. Live in my presence and be blameless. I'm here to establish. I'm here to maintain. I'm here to uphold this covenant that I have made with you. <clears throat> and the Bible says, Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. And God says to him, As for me, my covenant is with you, and you will become the father of many nations. And God does something really important here. He says, Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham, right? Your name will be Abraham. In other words, you're going to go from a name that means exalted father to a name that now means chief of a multitude or father of a multitude, right? God is doing something very important in changing his name, right? He's called him to walk after him. And now God is saying, hey, by the way, I'm taking responsibility for your story. When we see the naming of things in the Bible, it's a way, biblically speaking, that, we, that the person who is giving the name takes responsibility for that individual or for that group or something or for that crop or whatever. You find this, for example, in the early chapters in Genesis. God says, I want you, Adam and Eve, to have dominion. I want you to care. I want you to steward. I want you to watch over the earth. And if you keep reading, you'll notice Adam does something very important. He begins to name all the things around him. Now, we don't know, you know, how exactly he did that, but he went, hey, elephant, hey, rhino, hey, cheetah. Apparently, we're doing African animals today. Hey, dog, hey, cat. And by doing that, he's doing what God has asked him to do, to take responsibility and dominion over the creation, to care for it, to steward it, to keep it, is one way you could translate the word that's used there. And here, God is saying, hey, Abram, your name's no longer going to be Abram. Your name's now going to be Abraham. 
And he's giving a clue to Abraham. I'm taking responsibility for this. This isn't going to be just from your power alone. You're going to be involved in this, but the power is going to come from and through me. I'm, I'm taking responsibility for it. And so this walking before that Abram's supposed to do, this all-in kind of living, blameless living that he's called into, it's not a condition of God's faithfulness. It's simply a response to who God is. Abraham is hearing this and he's going, okay, okay. And, and it's kind of funny because later <coughs> he falls face down and then he laughs because he's like, oh, I, I'm all in, but God, I have no idea how you're going to do this. But God is making this covenant, and this covenant is a covenant of land. You see in verse 8, you know, for example, a land of Canaan that will be an eternal possession to you and your offspring. And then God goes to do something different, all right? As God's changing his name, um, Ray Stemmen says it this way, this is God's way of saying you are no longer the person you used to be. You're no longer a prisoner of your past. You're a totally new you. Because what God is doing in changing the name is he's saying, here's how you've operated. I'm going to keep my word here. I'm going to take responsibility for it, but I'm going to do a work in you. You're not going to be the same person today that you are this time next year. I'm about transformation, God says. And every time now, so Abraham's, Abram's lived his life being called Abram, exalted father, every time he lives his life now and he hears his name, hey, Avraham, 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 he's going to be like, hey, I'm a chief of a multitude? God, I have one son through the wife that came from my wife, if that kind of makes sense, the servant of my wife. God, I, I don't have a multitude, nor am I a chief of a whole crew of people. And this is where God steps in with great power. Every time Abraham hears his name, he's going to be reminded that he's not who he used to be. He's going to be reminded that God is writing his story. And God invites him into this relationship where they go together in all their walks of life. And, and, and some of us here, we, we live in this old identity. <clears throat> we live out of who we are before coming to know Christ. We live out of the sinful choices we have made or the, the, the pride that we've lived in. We, we, we live out of our experience instead of out of who God says we are. God says we are loved. God says we are, are chosen. God says that we are his children when we come to faith in him through the Messiah Jesus. But we live sometimes as though we're so distant from God when God is right here and he wants to walk with you. And he wants to walk with me. God commands Abraham, walk after me and be blameless because Abraham's not going to do anything to earn God's love because there's nothing he can do to earn God's love. But God wants him to step into the fullness of what God wants to do in his life. The way you could think about it is this. If I go to my parents' house, very rarely, if ever, do they say, hey, would you bring a dish to pass, right? If I go over for dinner at my parents' house, they've already gone shopping. They have everything there we need. We're gathered around the table all they want is us. And that's basically what God is saying here. He's saying, I invite you. I invite you to sit with me. I invite you to live life with me. I want all of you. You don't need to bring your stuff. I just want you. Why? Because I love you. Why? Because with a yielded heart, I can take even the greatest weakness. And it can become an amazing 
feet of my glory in this world. And that's what he's going to do with Abraham. So <coughs> in the first eight verses, you have this unconditional covenant made by God. We go to the next eight verses or so, verses 9 through 16. And God says, now here's something I want you to do. I want you to take your offspring, all your male offspring, and I want you to circumcise them. And you can imagine Abraham's 99 years old and he's going to say, what? You want me to do what? Circumcise what? God, let's talk about this. I'm 99. My son's 13. I'm not so sure that we're too super keen on this right at this moment. And here's the thing. There's nothing magical about circumcision. What is going on here is God is giving him a very visible reminder so that every time he engages in normal everyday things, he's reminded, I'm in covenant with the God of the universe. He's reminded, God has promised that he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. God will be faithful. God will keep his word. He, God uses covenants and symbols all the time. You know, like for Noah, he gives him a bow in the sky, a rainbow in the sky, which basically says to Noah, hey, I, I've, I've wiped out the entire earth except for you. I will never do that again. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and one of the signs of the Ten Commandments is, for the Jewish people is, is the Sabbath. As they keep the Sabbath, they're reminded man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that they can strive and they can work, and work is good, but six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and it you shall do no work. There's a day where you need to stop, and you need to be reminded that it's not by your own power you get ahead, it's by the gracious hand of God. Six days you work, one day you say, God, oh, I'm reminded that my life is not defined by what I do. Jesus comes to this earth and he establishes a new covenant in his blood. And he gathers, he's gathered around this table with his disciples. <coughs> and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And he's using symbols. He's using these pictures so that every time we take of the bread and every time we take of the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection until he returns. God uses symbols all the time to remind us of his word. But as Abraham uh, engages in this symbol, he's not justified because he is circumcised. In fact, he's justified. Um, scripture makes clear that he's justified. He's made right with God before he is circumcised. But this is a way for him to essentially um, live out total commitment. He is all in in following God. The end result or the purpose of the sign is just to keep the commands of God. It doesn't make him right before God, but it reminds him of who God is and what God has done. And it also demonstrates for him and for those around him, I am all in in following God. Circumcision is the very visual reminder of their intimate relationship with God and, is, and of the power of El Shaddai even over birth. There's nothing magical but after not being able to produce children with Sarah for decades, God wants his flesh to be marked so that he remembers, so, sorry, that he remembers that all things belong totally to God. Every last bit belongs to God. <coughs> now the Bible will speak later of a different kind of circumcision, not of the flesh of a male reproductive organ, but one of the heart that removes and replaces our striving 
to produce things on our own, and instead it places us again in this dependent relationship of trust with the Lord Jesus, the one who is El Shaddai. In fact, Paul, talking about circumcision, he, he says, now Paul's an observant Jew, so he's circumcised. Uh, he, he's circumcised on the eighth day. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has all these cred, um, all this credibility that he could stack in any Jewish room, right? He could say, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. I, I'm a Jew who is a Jew. I am all in. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I don't put confidence before God in those things that I've done. That does not make them unimportant, but that his confidence in his relationship with God is not based upon them. He regards all things of his heritage worthless compared to knowing Christ as the most important thing in his life. In fact, Paul says it this way, I want to know him. I want to know him. This is, I want to experience the revelation of God, not just the knowledge of him. All right? This is, I want to not just know cognitively about God, I want to walk with him. I want to experience what does it mean to wake up in the morning and say, God, here I am. God, what would you have me be about today? God, I have no idea what to do in this situation. God, would you, would you lead and guide my steps? God, I am having a struggle following you here. I know what your word says. God, would you give me grace and strength to stand firm here in my life? <clears throat> Paul does not put his, um, his priority upon knowledge of God. He puts it on the revelation of God to him. It's not about what you know mentally. It's about knowing personally who God is and what God has done. Paul wants to know the powers of resurrection. He wants to experience the fellowship of his sufferings because Paul understands it's not outward actions that make us right before God. It only comes, relationship with God only comes through faith in Jesus. All Paul's experience, his knowledge, his degrees, they matter little to God. God loves him regardless of what he can do. He loves him for who he is. God's child. You know, so when Jesus is teaching his disciples, this then is how you should pray. You say, our Father in heaven. Jesus is teaching. You don't come to God and say, God, here's all the things I've done for you. He says, you come to him, and you come and you sit at his table, and you say, God, I'm here. I'm all in. Again, it's like going to a potluck at your parents' house. And maybe you guys, like, bring stuff. I don't know. But when I go to a potluck at my parents' house, it's not a potluck. It's my parents have provided all we need, and they just want us. Come, sit, enjoy. Let's be together. Because what matters most is this walking together after God. Abraham is given this command by God to um, engage in circumcision, not just of him, but of every male in his community. Otherwise, they will be cut off because they will have broken the covenant. God says to Abraham <coughs> in verse 15, As for your wife Sarai, don't call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. It's, it's not just one child. It's not just to have an heir to take care of you as you get older, Abraham. It's that I'm going to do an amazing work through her that you can't even begin to fathom. Kings and nations and peoples are going to come from her. 
And God says, trust me on this. I am El Shaddai. Now, Abraham initially responds with laughter. We see this uh, beginning in verse 17. And he says, can a child be born to a 100-year-old man? Can Sarah, a 90-year-old woman, give birth? And, and Abraham says to God, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. They tried many ways to work around God's plan. They didn't fully know what God's plan was, but they tried to make it happen several times. That's how we get Ishmael. And Abraham inquires, God, what about Ishmael? Could, could he not be involved in this as well? And God says, no, <laughs> the promise is going to come through Sarah. The promise is going to come through Sarah. It's not going to come, Abraham, through Ishmael because that's a child of your striving. Now, as we learned in two weeks ago, um, there are promises given to Ishmael. You know, God comes to Hagar and he says, I'm going to make your child into a great nation. And he tells Abraham the same thing here. But what God is going to do to bless the entire world, ultimately through Jesus, is going to come through Abraham, through his son Isaac from Sarah, and <coughs> Jacob. And so we, we know that God is giving this more detail, or God is giving this detail, and it's not going to involve Ishmael, but the promise is going to come through Sarah. And he says, by the way, you're going to name him Isaac. Now, Isaac um, is a word that means laughter. So it's kind of ironic here that says, uh, Abraham laughed and he said to himself, and then God says in verse 19, and you will name him Yitzhak. You will name him Yitzhak, which is a, a word that means he laughs. So every time he says, Isaac, he's going to remi be reminded, I didn't trust God. I, I didn't believe God could do this. Isaac, ha, he laughs. And he's reminded, God is almighty. God can do what God has said he will do. In Abraham's response, we come to the end of the chapter, verse 23 and following. It says this, Then Abraham, he took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house or purchased with his money, every male among the members of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of the foreskin that very day. It's important. He, what he's saying there is Abraham gathered all the people God told him to around, and he said, by the way, here's what God has said here's what we're going to do. And Abraham didn't delay. He didn't say, I'll think about it and maybe come back to it tomorrow. He says, son, come here. Servants, come here. We're going to talk about something and we're going to engage in circumcision because here's what God said. He was obedient that very day to what God had said. And in doing so, he demonstrates obedience to God and trust. I think it's important to remember, sometimes, oftentimes, obedience precedes the complete fulfillment of God's promise. In other words, God has given promises and he says, I want you to trust me. Trust does not typically come after you have seen. Sometimes that happens. Um, you know, you think, think about um, <coughs> Jesus after his resurrection, and he's got some of his disciples around, and Thomas wants to see the nails in his hands and in his side, and Jesus shows that, and, and by sight, he goes, yeah, I trust. And Jesus says something to the effect of, blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. Obedience often precedes the complete fulfillment of God's promise. In fact, Romans talks about uh, Abraham, and I, I love 
um, the way he's characterized in Romans. It kind of smooths out some of the rocky ups and downs of Abraham's life, but it says in Romans chapter 4, one translation goes like this, no anxious uncertainty made him doubt God's promise. Now he's talking about a, a time a little bit later in his life when he's going to be asked to sacrifice his one and only son. But, but no anxious uncertainty made him doubt God's promise because he's learned over year after year after year after year that God can be trusted. I, I wish this was a lesson that we could learn quickly. I, I really wish it was. But for many of us, it's trusting El Shaddai, trusting God Almighty is not something that we learn super quick. <clears throat> it's something that, that, that we have to step into and step into and step into. Um, and here's kind of where I want to land the plane is how do, how do we trust God wholeheartedly? How, how do we go all in in our relationship with God? And we've got, got a couple thoughts for us today. Um, the first one is this. Start writing down how God has been faithful to you. If you're struggling with whether or not I can trust God's word and God's promise here, start writing down how God has been faithful. Think back. Remember. It's a really, really helpful exercise. Now, now some of you here, you might be new followers of Jesus. Some of you here may have followed Jesus for many years. Go to each other, you know? If, if you're a young person, and maybe you're still figuring out who is Jesus to me. Go and talk to your parents. Go talk to your grandparents. Go talk to one of your small group leaders and say, how have you seen God be faithful to you? I guarantee you, if they've been walking with Jesus for any degree of time, they're most likely going to be able to start thinking back and remembering. But here's the cool thing. Even if you've been following Jesus for several years, we all have moments where we go, God, I just don't know what to do there. God... I'm struggling to trust. Go to other people, even new believers, even young people in their faith, and say, what is a way that you've seen God be faithful to you? That you've prayed something and God has answered your prayer. That, that, that you've seen God work in your behalf, maybe in a way that you never would have ever thought. Maybe it didn't go the way you thought it did, but you learned on the other side that it was actually for your good that it didn't. Go to each other, today even, and say, what have you seen God do in your life? These aren't coincidences. These are the hand of a good and perfect God. Another thing you can do <coughs> is take whatever situation you're in and, and read a psalm. Sing a psalm. You know, Psalm 77, Psalm 100. Declare God's faithfulness as he has declared it in his word. Um, oftentimes, if we're struggling with trust, one of the best things we can do uh, is just to start singing. Start declaring who God is, start declaring what God has done, and many times through that act of obedience, which it is because Scripture calls us to sing and to make music in our hearts to God, through that act of obedience, many times God reorients our hearts and He works by His Spirit in a way to remind us that He is almighty. Now, another thing that we can do to trust God wholeheartedly is to obey what God has told us to do and to wait for God to work in what seems impossible. All right? <clears throat> I'm not advocating inaction here. I'm saying obey what God has told you to do. Be obedient to his word 
if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something that's in keeping with his word, step into it no matter what it is. Just step into it and say, God, I don't know how it's going to end up, but I'm going to turn the other cheek here. Or God, I'm going to extend mercy and forgiveness. Or, or God, I'm going to trust that your word has said this, and so I will live by this. Walk in it. Step into it. Trust God and wait for God to work in what may seem to be an impossible situation. Finally, another great thing to do is just list and meditate on promises of God. There are so many in the Bible, um, <clears throat> so many in the Bible uh, that are helpful to us. Now, when you read promises of God, you always have to be, re- you always have to pay attention of who's the promise given to, what's the principle I can take from it? Because, I mean, for example, Genesis 12 says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Now, if I were to read this and say, oh, God's going to make me into a great nation. You know, this is a blessing that is given to Abram. And so that's why I put in parentheses here. God says to Abram, I'll make you, Abram, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. But note this, I will bless those. I'll bless all those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And get this, God says in Genesis 12, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Psalm 1, how happy or blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction on God's word, and he meditates on it day and night. Get this promise. He is like a tree that's planted beside streams of water that bears fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. It's talking about the the spiritual life of a believer. Someone who meditates and delights in God and in his instruction, what he does, God brings great prosper and great fruit. It's not going to be the person who brings great fruit, but it's the yielded all-in heart and life of a person given to God that will bring great fruit for the kingdom. Psalm 15, he's got some promises to Israel. He says, Israel, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. He says, hey, Aaron, house of Aaron, part of the tribes of Israel, uh, trust in the Lord. He's their help and their shield. But then he says, y'all who fear the Lord. It's plural there. Y'all who fear the Lord, you trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. The Lord remembers us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. There's blessing that is promised to people who say, as it says in verse 1 of the psalm, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory for the sake of your love and your faithfulness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 includes an amazing promise for us. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not who he used to be. She's not who she used to be. Why? Because old things have passed away. Your life where it was marked by sin, it was marked by rebellion, If you come into relationship of faith with Jesus, believing that he died and he rose again for you, guess what? By trusting in his work to redeem and save you from sins, that puts you into relationship with God, and you're no longer marked by the person who you once were. You're marked by new things that God has brought to you. Not just that you are redeemed, but now you're in a relationship with God, and you're walking with God each day, reminded daily that you are his child. Matthew 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but the principle holds true. He says, seek first the kingdom of God in the last part of this. But before that, he's like, why do you worry about this? What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, 
The idolaters, they eagerly seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And his instruction to the disciples is, seek first my kingdom, be about the redemptive work of God first in this world, and the righteousness that comes from God and all these things that you need are provided for you. Matthew 11 is a promise of rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. With me, he says, you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is offering every one of his followers, will you trust me? Take my teaching, take my word, take my will upon your life, and there you will actually find rest. John chapter 10 Jesus says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will come in and go out and find pasture. He says, a thief only comes to kill and destroy. I've come so that you might have life and have it of abundance. Right? John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he says to his disciples, and he says this to us today as well, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. <clears throat> Paul in 2 Corinthians says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Is your heart hurting today? He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. These are all promises of a God who is mighty and able to fulfill his word and to give us everything we need. Ken and worship team, would you guys come up? Um, Ken read a prayer earlier, and it was by Dr. Tony Evans. And um, there, there's a great book that uh, my friend Kristen uh, has shared with me, and it's, and it's praying. Do you have the book, Ken? Thank you. I'll, I'll show you the, the... Here, this is a little plug. Um, it's called Praying Through the Names of God. Just a great resource to, to center your hearts and your minds upon who God is and what God has done. And so here's a prayer that Ken is going to pray on our behalf. It's a prayer of supplication for the name El Shaddai, God Almighty. And one of the great things about using the prayers of other people is they give us new language to describe who God is and what God has done in our midst. And so even right now, just as Ken comes ready to, 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 to pray this, let's just take a moment. Would you just pause wherever you're at? Maybe you're listening at home. Would you just maybe even just close your eyes and, and say to God, God, here I am. God, you know the situation I face. God, we thank you for being more than enough. We thank you for being God Almighty, El Shaddai, the one who is almighty. We thank you, God, for keeping your word. We thank you, God, that you are here and that you are moving and that you are working and that we can trust you today. God, would you be glorified in our lives as we pray and then as we sing. Thanks for listening. 
We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.